Hey everybody, and welcome to our third United Spinal Roundtable discussion. Uh, as we wrap up MS Awareness Month this March, I am joined by New Mobility Managing Editor Josie Bizek for a conversation about living with MS. Uh, Josie was diagnosed with MS 20 years ago this past February and has been the resident MS expert for New Mobility Magazine for all of her 17 years on staff. Uh, she's also a mother, a school board member, and a passionate activist. I've had the chance to work and get to know Josie over the last six years, uh, work with and get to know Josie over the last six years, and I can testify to her being a virtual fount of knowledge when it comes to MS. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I didn't know a whole lot about MS when I started working for United Spinal, but thanks to her writing and many long conversations, uh, none over candlelight, but uh, long conversations we've had over the last few years, uh, I have a much better grasp of some of the complexities involved uh, and the issues that people living with MS have to deal with every day. Uh, I still have a long way to go, but hopefully today uh, uh, we can cover a few of those basics that in a way that uh, will be helpful for people who are sort of noobs like I am or people who are seasoned experts living with MS like Josie. So uh, I'm really excited about today's conversation. Uh, in case you don't know me, I'm Ian Reuter. I'm an editor for New Mobility Magazine and social media manager for United Spinal Association. Uh, and yeah, Josie, it's a pleasure to have you here with me today. Hey, thank you, Ian. It's always fun to talk with you. Yeah, definitely. I thought before we get into more details and everything uh, uh, about your background and everything, you could just kind of give a real basic, straightforward explanation. I know that's not the easiest thing of what MS is. Uh, MS is an autoimmune disease, uh, which basically means that our own uh, system is attacking some part of our body. In our case, it's actually attacking the lining around uh, the nerves of the, the central nervous system. It's called the myelin sheath. And when I was first diagnosed, I read a description that I thought was pretty good, uh, which was, imagine if you had a mouse running around in your motherboard, like this old... Uh, tower computers and that mouse is going to chew a wire somewhere you don't know which wire you don't know exactly what it's connected to and maybe when that mouse chews the wire it'll do nothing or maybe it will make your monitor blink out or uh, one of your programs blink out or so on so ms is kind of like that uh, whichever nerve it it attacks uh, will result in some kind of symptom or, or no symptom. It's, it's actually hard to say. Uh, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I love the mouse analogy. And I think uh, for people who have spinal cord injury, uh, it, it's also applicable in the sense of, you know, if you have a traumatic spinal cord injury, it's sort of like having that mouse get in there once because it's attacking the myelin. Your myelin sheets also suffer a lot of damage, but it's a more of a one-time thing. Whereas you, as with MS, you're uh, dealing with that over a long period of time, like the mouse can't get out, kind of. Yeah, it's just there forever, uh, no matter what they do. Uh, there's generally uh, considered to be four types of MS, if you're interested. Uh, the first is relapsing remitting, uh, which means that our symptoms come and then they go. And usually we heal almost completely. Uh, then there's secondary progressive MS, where the symptoms come and maybe they go, but there's going to be some residual. Uh, and I think that's pretty much where I am. And then there's primary progressive MS, uh, which means that you don't get a relapse that disappears. Your MS just kind of um, comes in and slowly gets worse over time. And then there's even a type where uh, you get a relapse, 
and it looks and it just stays uh, so there's no slow slide into it uh, and that's progressive remitting MS I believe so. is one of them more common yeah um, relapsing remitting uh, slash a secondary uh, secondary uh, progressive MS is more um, common uh, in general among people who have MS most of us start with relapsing remitting and then go to secondary uh, and then there's I think something like one out of four um, hopefully less I, that gets um, primary progressive uh, from jumpstart 75% uh, of people with MS tend to be women and men while in the minority for getting MS uh, tend to get it worse they tend to get the the primary progressive side uh, right off the bat right so now that's really helpful and having that down maybe could you talk a little bit about how you discovered you had MS and kind of your background with it um yeah I think in many ways I was pretty typical uh, even as far back as in college uh, there would be times or high school actually there would be times where I would fall and I didn't know why or my eyes would become blurry and I didn't know why um, or just very sensitive to heat like more so than other people and I and I didn't know why so I first started looking for answers uh, late 80s early 90s and there's sort of a joke among our community that MS is in our head because most of us uh, when we start out uh, doctors and and even our family will kind of try to tell us that our symptoms are in our head so then when we're finally diagnosed we say well you were right you know it right. really was in our head uh, for me what finally led to a diagnosis was I lost the sight in my left eye um, except for a tiny sliver along the top and my right eye became very blurry and that kicked off a week of a lot of tests and initial diagnoses um, they thought maybe I had a type of cancer uh, maybe a type of lupus uh, they thought maybe I had something that just eats the cartilage in our bodies um, so by the end of the week I was actually kind of relieved to find out it was MS you know, just to know it was something and and to kind of get on with it um, that that was I think actually the blindness it was more than a week but there was a week of really emergency visits and doctor's visits uh, but then the final diagnosis actually came um, a little bit later like I lost my sight in November and then the final diagnosis came in February and it was really scary and it's kind of funny because I had been involved with the disability community professionally for about eight years and like I said I knew I had something uh, and but when this happened it it um, it just sort of took everything that I had been having and, and made it like just super pronounced like um, you know my left leg uh, from the knee down was paralyzed for a while uh, my left hand um, you know no feeling in it couldn't use it uh, things like that and then slowly it came back and so it kind of goes and comes and goes and comes over the years how do you deal with that with that kind of coming and going I mean for over 20 years I'm sure you've been through you know more than we have time to talk about today but 
you know, losing your eyesight. I mean, I, that's, I think, unfathomable for a lot of people, not knowing whether that's going to come back or not. What do you do to, to cope with that and kind of uh, live your day to day? With the eyesight, it it was hard at first, obviously. I mean, it was gone in the left eye and in the right eye. I could read if, uh, you know, font size was really large, um, things like that. It's like anything. At first, it's terrifying and a lot and then like sort of shock and denial sets in and and then it just kind of becomes part of life uh, with ms my experience is often after i become used to something and becomes part of life then it starts to ease up a little bit and, and then when it eases up um, or remits uh i i kind of i kind of wonder how i dealt with it <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, but at the time, it's just I'm going on with it, going on with it. And I know you know what that's like. You you have a very full, complete life. And it, you know, disability or not, um, but if a symptom led up tomorrow, it would probably be a relief. Right. But it's not something you can really think about at the time. People talk about that the idea of that new normal, I think, is thrown around a lot. But yeah. not as much there is a new normal, it's just it's always changing. You know, and you adapt to whatever you have to deal with and just kind of figure out how to go best, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably like anything. I think I used to be a lot more free. I think I used to uh, have a lot less anxiety. Uh, but as I get older, uh, I don't test my limits as much as I used to, uh, which on the one hand kind of stinks. But on the other hand, you know, I have a, a really good balanced life and, and have things figured out to where yeah. I want them. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's been really interesting in our conversations and working with you uh, is I've seen how you're uh, you're very careful about managing uh, what you do and keeping in, uh, I've heard you call it like staying in the zone uh, yeah. where you are in a place where you're able to function really well and not uh, overexert yourself and kind of throw yourself at the uh, mercy of some of the symptoms. Uh, why is that such a big deal and, and how do you do it? How have you learned to do that over the years? Well, first, uh, just to acknowledge up front, it's different for everyone. Uh, when a symptom, when I'm in, when a symptom really gets me, uh, there's actually nothing you you can do to change uh, the physical reality of a symptom of a disability, and, and, and we both know that. Uh, so you take what you can do, right? Uh, so what I can do is getting a really good night's sleep. Uh, it's it's the corniest thing, but that more than anything else um, is crucial uh, to managing uh, MS fatigue, you know, which is the bane of MS in many ways. Um, I try to eat right. Um, I try to make sure that I have downtime, uh, that that I do things to enjoy life. Um, you know, it's, it which sounds so minor, um, but I think with like the last time we just talked on the phone uh, is a good example of some of this um, where I try not to exert myself too much, where I wanted to make a special dinner for my family. And to do so, I needed to get ingredients from a grocery store that I don't usually go to. And I think that a non-disabled person, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Uh, you just slip over there on your lunch break, you get the ingredients, uh, maybe you hit a drive-through, maybe not, and you get back to the audience, the um, office, and everything's okay. 
Uh, whereas with me, uh, driving a little further than I'm used to is going to take uh, valuable energy. Going to a grocery store where I don't know where everything is is going to take <laughs> valuable energy. And, and trying to find ingredients that I don't usually use is going to take valuable energy. Uh, some people within our community call it spoons, um, which I could get into if you want. Uh, but I was looking at this thinking, you know what, I'm going to have to take the day off. Uh, so having MS means sometimes having to take the day off so you can go grocery shopping. And That's good. I, th I thought you were going to say that, that when you mentioned the after our last phone call, it was that it was exhausting just talking to me. So I'm glad <laughs> it was shopping, not just talking to me. <laughs> Love talking to you. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, you mentioned spoons. Can you talk a little more about what that is? Oh, it's this thing called a spoon theory that someone with uh, lupus used, where they were trying to explain to a friend of theirs how it takes anyone with a chronic uh, disability or, or disease just a little bit more uh, thinking or energy than, than people who don't have to deal with things like that. And they were in a restaurant and this person went and grabbed all the spoons off the tables and said, okay, so it's like you have these spoons, you know, and, and it, it's going to cost this many spoons to take a shower and this many spoons to have breakfast. And her friend went and grabbed the spoons and said, okay, I could do this. She goes, no, no more spoons for you. And it kind of went from there. Um, and it's something that uh, people who have lupus, MS, uh, arthritis, and I believe other disabilities now um, have just started to use a sort of shorthand to say, uh, we just have less resources that we can draw from uh, than other people's. We could do everything, uh, but we have less resources. So we just have to plan for it really well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and I know uh, as far as that energy kind of management and the resources, uh, one of the things we've talked about is how important temperature regulation is. Mm -hmm. um, how does that play into MS and, and what do you do about that? Well, with MS, and I, I know you can identify with this uh, because I think it probably is somewhat similar to dysreflexia. Although I'm sure a medical ex expert would tell me how that's a horrible analogy. We don't, we don't, we're not medical um, experts. We won't. We won't right, right, exactly. Um, basically, because uh, the myelin sheath is is the protective covering that that coats nerves, uh, and it really is kind of like uh, the wrapping around an electrical wire. Uh, we can't handle uh, heat as well as people who don't have something like MS because our nerves it, it just the 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 um the protective covering is just kind of frazzled and at least that's the theory as to why uh so it's a very common thing uh, with people with ms that uh if we get over if we're in an environment that's over a certain temperature uh that some of our symptoms uh will actually come back uh and i i think that 74 is supposed to be where you're supposed to start being careful. I find that I can function perfectly well. 74 degrees. To, yeah, 74 degrees. Okay. Um, I can, I, I personally prefer um, somewhere between like 72 uh, and 74. Like I'm one of the lucky few that get it both ways. If I get too cold, uh, I actually can get hypothermia <laughs> symptoms. And if I get too hot, uh, then I don't I don't think as clearly I can't move as quickly my eyes get blurry um, uh, yeah, I get sort of bladder bowel problems uh, and 
you know, my legs get wonky and, and things like that. But it's not actually cut and dry. Like it seems some days it, it can be handled better than others. So what can I you, do... Can you give me maybe an example of yeah. a recent memory of something, a time where that happened, whether you got too hot or too cold, and just sort of how it played out? A recent example. Well, I like to kayak, uh, for example. And so when I kayak, I I try to go early in the morning or uh, late afternoon, where it just just to control the temperatures. I will wear um, like Columbia Omnifreeze, or there's a new one called Arctic something that I got for Christmas. I'm willing to try out. And I wear a hat, and I wear sunglasses, and I keep water, and I have you know some of those cooling kerchiefs that can dip in a river and what have you. But even with all of that, sometimes I'll still get a little overheated. And and so then what will happen is uh, my left eye will get completely blurry again. And if I'm out in the sun too long, I really won't be able to see through it. Like I'll just see like um, an abstract painting of sorts, which isn't terrible. It's not like it's completely blind. Uh, and my right eye typically... Uh, can keep enough clarity that can do stuff. So I surely am not going to drive. Um, I hate talking about this with coworkers uh, because it sounds, but hopefully you trust my professionalism enough that I can say this. If I get too overheated, my thinking actually isn't as clear. Uh, so I actually have to have things in place uh, to protect myself uh, when I'm too tired or too hot or too sluggish to make good decisions. Uh, so I have to have people around me that I really trust, um, things like that. Yeah, so, definitely. you know, which no, sucks. No. Yeah, well, it sucks, <laughs> that part. It does, does not sound like fun. Uh, no, but you know, if, I, if I'm really careful uh, to keep my adventures, like, like kayaking adventures, uh, if I'm by myself, uh, to two to two to four hours um, within, and those I can do pretty much up to 80. It'll just just shave things down a little bit with you know the protective measures that I described. I'm usually okay, and I you know I, I do a lot of my adventures close to home, obviously, or get someone to drive me or or ferry me. I mean, that's the best example I can think of. Yeah, no, I mean you mentioned um, you know kind of the clothing, and you talked about. The imperative of getting a, a good night's sleep. Yes. Uh, are there other sort of day-to-day -day management things that you can do that impact your ability to kind of sustain? Yeah, um, and I think these are things that that most people probably would benefit from. But I think, again, those of us who live with something chronic, especially, have to pay attention uh, to things like our diet. And like I'm 51, and I'm never going to be skinny again. But I do try hard to uh, eat more protein uh, than most people eat. I try hard to uh, do the things where you where you eat as many colorful vegetables as you can. I mean, there's been some research recently that suggests uh, that you can actually um, reverse some MS symptoms uh, just through diet. And honestly, I you know I, I I don't think we can count on things like that, but I know I feel better when I do that. Um, you know the, the 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 corny stuff. The mindfulness is important. Uh, I I try to do yoga, which is important. You know, re relaxation. 
um, for me, a game. <laughs> you know, I do a lot of gaming, um, which I think is actually important. Things like that. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you've mentioned, I think, in, I don't know if the column has come out yet, but uh, whether it was in the most recent new mobility or one of the other ones, but the idea of using a Fitbit actually oh, yeah. in, the op in the opposite way. Could you talk a little about that? That was something I discovered. Uh, our daughter is uh, married to uh, a sergeant in the Army. We're very proud of him. And they live on a, a military base up in Anchorage, Alaska. So we went to Anchorage, Alaska to see them. And it wasn't too long after I had my Fitbit. And you know, going through airports and things like that, um, the first day I was kind of excited because I, I met my goal, couldn't believe it. And then I felt dead and tired and horrible and exhausted and things like that. Uh, so then for the rest of the vacation, I thought, well, what if I use this Fitbit to, uh, again, to find my zone and stay in it, you know, and, 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 and so I started on that trip. And then later when I got home, uh, kind of playing around with it, uh, this idea and tweaking it. Uh, so that I, if I forget, like if I'm having a really good day, I can do almost anything somebody without a disability can do. But that means that I'm in danger of, of doing too much, in which case then the next day or the day after, I'm, I'm going to be just a, a wet washcloth, not able to do anything. So what I started using the Fitbit for was to figure out, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? And I have it down to actually how much I can do before I, I endanger myself, like the day after tomorrow, or what have you. I mean, it's so that's that's just a little a little thing that, that I had done. Um, no, I think it's a really cool idea. It's kind of probably not not something that the Fitbit people ever would have thought of, but I think uh, it could be really valuable for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, it's again, it's just one of those frustrations. Like uh, for a while, I, I joined a gym and, you know, first I'm like, oh, my God, this feels great. And then I realized I was actually hurting myself and I wasn't even doing that much. Uh, so I realized I can do a gym 20 minutes a day, two days a week, which is not a lot. But if I do more than that, I'm actually going to hurt myself. I'm really going to hurt myself. Um, to the point where I I have to you know stay in the house and and not do much and and things like that. So it's it's just a frustrating yo-yo uh, effect. And I imagine that's really individual for you know depending on very much yeah. I mean some people can't do that even, and some people can do a lot more. You know, so it's just it's all it's all relative. That's right. that's. That's the thing with any disability, I think, that to a, to a point we have things in common, and then to another point there are things that will work for us that will not work for anyone else. Yeah, yeah and I think that's one of the, the tricks and things I've, I'm still learning about as a, you know your friend and, and coworker and someone uh, you know now knowing other people with MS too, uh, sort of how we can best support you and other people and kind of what the best ways to be there as a friend and supporter are. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and maybe what people who don't know much or are still learning about it, um, how they can go about that and be there for their friends as they go through, whether it's, you know, progressive or, um, or not. 
Well, this assumes everyone's lucky enough to work for um, an organization like ours, uh, for one thing, uh, because it's there are some work environments where if you said to someone, oh my God, I'm having a bad brain day, I have to take an hour off to take a nap, that chances are it probably won't go over very well. Right. Um, but where we work, um, we we know each other well and we know each other's productivity and and what have you that we are able to be there for each other. Um, for me, it's just a matter of being able to trust. Like our supervisor um, knows a lot about MS. Uh, so when I got the job, uh, right off the bat, I asked for an air conditioner because I had a house that didn't have central air and we work at home. And she got it immediately, you know. Um, and, and so over the years, um, that relationship had, there's been a lot of trust built up uh, so that I, I can, you know, do flex time and things like that. Uh, with you, uh, as you know, recently um, I wanted to come out to Oregon to hang out with you and eat great food and, and talk about the future of the magazine and, and do some fun plotting and planning. Uh, but I have had some issues. Um, one issue being uh, times that I can fly uh, because of the fatigue factor, and then I couldn't guarantee that I would hit Oregon in great shape, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, you you helped me get a hotel, uh, you fed me, which is amazing, uh, things like that, which I think for a regular person that may just be seen as polite or fantastic hospitality, uh, but in addition to those things, it actually made it possible. Yeah. Because I was really, really wanted to do it, really felt it was necessary. Uh, and But I don't even think I shared how kind of frightened I was at what happens if I get there and my fatigue is so bad that I can't figure out how to get from the airport to the hotel um, and things like that. So, well, I think um, that's one of the things that we share, you know, having dealing with the disability on a day to day basis and knowing that, yeah. you know, things can dramatically change from day to day. and you kind of have to listen to your body at all times. That's the, that's always the priority. Right. If you're gonna if you're gonna stay healthy and be productive at all at any point. So, um, you know, it's just a. I think we we listen for slightly different things because with different disabilities, obviously. But right. Uh, you know, we seem to hear each other pretty well, and I think that that made it go real smoothly. And I definitely learned a lot from the interaction. So, uh, it was really fun. Yeah, it's it's a, and in that particular sense, it's. Over the years, I've often reflected that if the non-disabled population ever really took the time to learn about us and what we've learned and what we can share, that what we can teach about uh, respecting each other's boundaries and believing each other uh, and, and just being chill about what we actually need uh, would make everybody you know disabled or not just a lot happier and a lot more productive i believe yeah definitely what are some of the bigger misconceptions that you come across from people who are outside of the ms community or, or aren't familiar with it biggest misconceptions for me it's 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 odd because i can sometimes pass uh it's not yeah just... i was gonna say like if i didn't know you and i met you out in public you know i, I wouldn't guess or was it that you had MS or anything else going on? Right, depending on the day. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, so there were, there were some things I, I realized up front. Like if I tell people, uh, sometimes they will start to treat me differently. 
like once at our church. This is this is silly. Uh, but I was having a, a pretty good day and we were moving tables for something. So I went to help move a table and like two people jumped up. No, stop. What are you doing? You know, um, that sort of a thing. Misconceptions. I live so openly and I write about this so much that I don't know anymore if I bounce into it. I think a lot of it are are my own personal concerns. Uh, like I recently ran for office, as you know, and I won, and I had to decide how open I was going to be uh, about having MS and and other things too. But um, and I decided uh, to to just be open about it. So I actually was interviewed for an article about it um, and things like that, and no one batted an eye. You know, like, and I do things like I, you know, I can't drive at night. Um, and and so I'll get to a meeting, like my partner will drop me off or sometimes I'll Uber. And then another board member will drive me home. And and it seems perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable. And I just don't think it was that way even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I was, not, I was wondering if, yeah, that, was, that leads into another question about, uh, how you've seen things change, you know, over the 20 years, as far as kind of acceptance and um, just sort of the amount of information that's out there and how people are living their lives. Yeah, living inside of it, I think it can be a little harder to tell sometimes. But like I said, no one, no one seemed to. I mean, it's almost as if the attitude is, oh, cool, or oh, okay, yeah, that sort of a thing. And there hasn't been anything major yet that has happened though um like in in terms of you know i'm not i've not shown up at a board meeting so fatigued i can't function or, or things like that nor would i uh for that matter um so i think not that long ago like do you remember the west the west wing show yeah of course uh where president uh josiah bartlett had ms and so a lot of people uh that became their image for it so for a little while, I think people were watching me thinking some of that was going to happen to me or, or what have you. Or they hear that you have a brain disease and and they wonder. But over the years, um, I think that people are just becoming a little bit looser um, about disability in general. I hope that's true anyway. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I would encourage anyone who uh, is interested in finding out more. You, you've been chronicling MS for uh, a long time as part of the new mobility staff. Um, and a lot of those archives are available on our website at newmobility.com uh, and also uh, for Life in Action, which was a, a short-lived United Spinal magazine. It had some really great uh, MS resources in there, and I believe that that's still also all available at unitedspinal.com uh, if you want to go check that out. Uh, but what are some other resources or good websites that people who want to learn more, educate themselves, can go to? I don't follow them as closely as I had to when I was writing the column, although I'm starting a new column called Live Well, so some of that's going to change. Uh, but for me personally, I use just good old Google a lot to look up symptoms and resources and things like that. I love following Travis L. Gleason's Life with MS on Facebook. Uh, he's um, just a, a fantastic uh, connector and source for those of us who have MS. Um, there's an app called the MS Buddy that's fantastic if you want to meet people who have MS but you don't like support groups 
um, or you don't have anybody in your life. And what that app does is it takes uh, your level of, of disability as well as other demographics and try to hook you up with someone who has similar concerns as you. Uh, so I highly recommend that. And, you know, I like reading up on things like yoga um, and Live Strong. Uh, National MS Society has great resources. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think those are all great. And again, uh, if you are interested in uh, getting involved with a support group or finding out about local resources, uh, I really would encourage you to check out the United Spinal website. There's a great listing there with uh, all the chapters around the country and um, just smaller support groups and meetings. And there's probably one close to where you live. So uh, definitely check that out and uh, check out some of those sites Josie mentioned. Make sure you read her stuff in New Mobility because it really is great. I'm not just saying that because I work with her. <laughs> uh, and Josie, you know, thank you so much for making the time today to have this conversation with me. And hopefully it'll uh, be helpful for some people out there. I sure enjoyed it, learned a lot. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Ian. It's, it's my pleasure. It's nice to be able to talk about these things. Yeah. Well, I, we'll wrap it up with that. And until next time, uh, talk to you guys soon. Cool.